Welcome back to the Elio Sideshow. It's a fine, I guess we're recording on a Sunday night here. Family family day, Sunday fun day. Trying to come back with a great episode for you. I apologize for some of the audio. This should be my last recording in my nomadic state. That's all right. I don't think so many people noticed. Uh, probably all, every single one of the listeners. I know Randall did. My God. Freaking guy. Uh. He's uh, quick to judge. That guy is quick to judge. Well, we even had some uh, some technical difficulties last. Yeah, other, I know. I don't know what was up with that. It was on purpose. We just wanted to see if the listeners would would reach out to us. Yeah, they did. I know they did. They did. Uh, I I gotta get the. Uh, I was looking over this. The word of the day because I think it's it's. Oh, very... dude! I already looked it up. I know how to say it. Okay. Well, I was talking to the producer because producer works in the medical field so she already knows what this is but uh, i was trying to pronounce it myself and we'll see if i get it right on the first time so you can be the judge okay today's word is affable is that right i don't think so i think it's a febrile a febrile or affable a-f-e-b-r-i-l-e it's an adjective means not feverish or without a fever or related symptoms which is Pretty applicable to what's going on now with the COVID. So we're going to be on the what spot. What made you choose that word? Did you see it in an email from like yesterday? Uh, I saw an email from like last week or week okay. before. I saw it and I was like, what is this word? And I oh, looked it up. I got it. A febrile. Febrile? A febrile. That, English That's is it. so stupid. <laughs> a febrile. So emphasize the A. A febrile. Yes. So adjective, not feverish. I said affable, afebrile. Wow. I thought it was afebrile, but whatever. Yeah, well, we were both wrong. Afebrile. Should have bet. Should have. Well, we both would have lost. It's <laughs> better so than no, paying out. Not. Yeah, afebrile. Okay. So again, not feverish without a fever-related symptoms. Uh, everything's going on with COVID right well, now. Well, you know what? I got a fever. Oh God, I'm I got gonna... a fever. <laughs> <laughs> what's the second part fever of for i got a fever for a really good case of the week <laughs> I, I thought can it was gonna you be cure my else. fever <laughs> i thought it was gonna be something else okay all right a febrile a febrile okay yeah so a, we we feel for you our department's starting to feel a little bit of a hit with COVID 19 right now we hope that it doesn't really uh, matriculate or get so pronounced within an apartment that it's really going to start to crush us. Cause you know, they, if so many people get that in any police department, it can be, you know, well, it's some. a good thing I for mean, us that we have, uh, we're maxed out on manpower right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is also false. Uh, but you know, the NYPD had this at towards the beginning stages. They had at one point they had what like a thousand or two thousand cops out. I mean, granted they have thirty six thousand cops, but still, that's like one. What I don't know what one divided by thirty six. So that's at least three percent of your police department that's just gone. 
you know, so you, you take you take that out for such a vast uh, majority or just a, a vast amount of cops that can be that can be terrible. Now the CDC did change their guidelines, so it's, it's not the four, it's not the fourteen day quarantine; it's this ten, and I think they actually changed it. Tens the the really really safe end. They say I think it's seven to ten, from what I understand. But in the, we're now doing a ten day quarantine instead of fourteen. The question though is. Because everybody, and I think officers are really—they're not trying to get off of work, but they're truly trying to figure out to be safe for others. What exactly do we define as an exposure? So, you know, they'll ask. Okay, so we have what we call the the tertiary contact. Tertiary means that if Frank has it, okay, and his or I'm. I'm with Frank in a close contact with him. I quarantine myself, not knowing that Frank had it. The producer's with me. So she would be the tertiary contact because I was with Frank and the producer was with me, which isn't as, isn't, I guess, transferred as easily from what I understand. So it's not what we consider a quote unquote direct exposure. Now for me with Frank, that would be more of a direct exposure because I was in close contact with him and he tested positive. So, so they're asking about that. That for we're not we're not quarantining anybody right now for tertiary contacts, and I don't think we're supposed to be doing that anyway. But people are questioning, and it's it's because they want to be safe. I understand that, and they want others to be safe. Yeah, but the thing that's been rough with police departments and the unions is that there's got to be some people out there playing the game. Oh, of course. Don't leave the state. Hey, you got they purposely leave the state or, you know what I mean? So there's got to be some people walking the dog here in some of these agencies and it's got to be aggravating. Yep. Yep. So we just we've had a we were actually really really good for like from the beginning we I think we maybe had like one positive over the summer and then yeah within the last couple of weeks we've had a couple more but we're still like a dozen yeah we're still we're still doing fairly fairly well everybody's safe and healthy nothing as far as i know nothing too bad a couple of people were well i guess one guy lost some pounds huh yeah 20 20 pounds two weeks 20 pounds in two weeks because that's Beat one that way Jenny, craig <laughs> Guess that's one way to go on a diet, man. That's like that's like when I had the stomach flu, man. I, lo- I think I lost like eight pounds in forty eight hours. Whew. I hate that stomach flu. So, uh, what do you have for us for the case here? Anything yeah, sorry, good? I was sipping my tea. Uh, yes. So it's kind of also applicable, but it, it's a like brand new recent court case. Okay, this is. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn, New York versus Cuomo, referencing Governor Andrew Cuomo, not Chris Cuomo on CNN, but Governor Andrew Cuomo. And this was a Supreme Court ruling of five to four. So right down the middle a little bit. And Chief Justice Roberts joined the uh, three liberal judges in dissent. And new Justice Amy Comey Barrett was the deciding vote. This is straight out of a New York Times article. Uh, Vote was five to four. The court's ruling was that 
odds with earlier ones concerning churches in California and Nevada. In those cases decided in May and July, the court allowed the state's governors to restrict attendance at religious services. And the Supreme Court's membership has changed now since then, obviously since Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died in September. And the earlier vote in the early cases was also five to four, but in the opposite direction with Chief Justice Roberts joining uh, Justice, Ging- Justice Ginsburg and the three other members of what was in the court's four-member liberal wing. I'm taking this right out of the New York Times. Uh, in an unsigned opinion, the majority said Mr. Cuomo's restrictions violated the First Amendment's protection of the free exercise of religion. In a concurring opinion, Justice Neil um, Gorsh said Mr. Cuomo had treated secular activities more favor- favorably than religious ones. Basically, the court's order addressed two applications. One's filed by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn, the two other by two synagogues, an Orthodox Jewish organization, two individuals. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, we're looking at Catholicism. We're looking you know, right different religions here. So the applications both said Mr. Cuomo's restrictions violated constitutional protections for the free exercise of religion. And the one from the synagogues added that Mr. Cuomo had singled out a particular religion for blame and retribution for an uptick in a society-wide pandemic. The restrictions are strict in shifting, quote-unquote, red zones where the coronavirus is high, risk is highest. No more than 10 people may attend religious services. In slightly as dangerous, quote-unquote, orange zones, which are also fluid attendance, is capped as 25, and this applies even to churches that could seat more than 1,000 people. Yada, yada, yada. Basically, you kind of get the gist Uh and in a dissenting opinion, Chief Justice Roberts said the court had acted rashly. Numerical capacity limits of 10 and 25 people, depending on the applicable zone, do seem unduly restrictive, he wrote, adding, it is not necessary, however, for us to rule on that serious and difficult question at the time. The governor might reinstate the restrictions, he wrote, but he also might not. And it is a significant matter to override de- determinations made by public health officials concerning what is necessary for public safety in the midst of a deadly pandemic. In a second dissent, your girl, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, joined by Justice Elena Kagan, said Mr. Cuomo, Mr. Cuomo's restrictions were sensible. Free religious exercise is one of our most treasured and jealously guarded constitutional rights, she wrote. States may not discriminate against religious institutions, even when faced with a crisis deadly as this one. But those principles are not at stake today. Constitution, and this is all quote, Constitution does not forbid states from responding to public health crises through regulations that treat religious institutions equally or more favorably than comparable secular institutions, particularly when those regulations save lives. Because New York's COVID-19 restrictions do just that, I respectfully dissent. So the larger question in this case is whether government officials or judges should strike the balance between public health and religious exercise. Uh... Let's see here. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that comes that comes down to it. Uh, in ruling against the diocese, so you're talking, you know, when you go through the court system and ruling against the diocese at the federal level, Judge Nicholas Garafis, G-A-R-A-U-F-I-S, I apologize, of the federal district court in Brooklyn said the case was very difficult, but he concluded that he would defer to the governor. And that's when the case ended up going from the appeals all the way up to the Supreme Court. So I, I put this on there not necessarily because it is such a big law enforcement ruling, but you are 
attacking First Amendment. Okay, so you have First Amendment. They're, they want to practice their religious freedom, First Amendment, versus public safety. And that kind of coincides with other court cases and other rulings that deal with law enforcement. For instance, I'll give you one example of how it can be applied. And I know we've mentioned this already, is uh, DUI checkpoints. So DUI checkpoints are technically a violation on the Fourth Amendment. It's a seizure. Right making you yeah. stop without any type of legal justification. Right. However, they, the courts have ruled that based on the t- statistics and the area of where, t- where these DUI checkpoints are frequented, because you got to do research on where you, you can't just set it up anywhere. You got to do research on, you know, accidents, DUIs, that type of stuff. The public safety aspect of these DUI checkpoints trumps the, uh, or fourth amendment seizure law. Right. And, but they, you know, for that, they even go as far as, you know, how long are you being detained? How long is that inconvenience? How long is that seizure? So, and you've done the, the checkpoints in the past and I have too, but how, if you are not suspected of driving under the influence, how much are you, um, like how long is your seizure there? How 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 inconvenienced are you as far as like a time frame? Oh, you're talking like seconds. Seconds, right? Yep. And they're purposely set up that way so that they're the least bit of intrusive as possible because the the officers working those uh, checkpoints are trained to observe, you know, your eyes, your speech, the smell, your driving, and you know stuff. Yeah, I mean, the first front. first question is, hey, how you doing? This DUI checkpoint, yada yada yada. Have you been? Have you had anything to drink tonight? Okay. Well, they say usually when they say yes. All right. Well, now we got to put you to the side and move along. And even when you conduct the investigation, you just move them to the side so everybody else can kind of go through the checkpoint and move on. So you're not really impeding traffic that much during these checkpoints. But anyway, that's Frank and I are talking about that. That's an example of amendment. So Fourth Amendment versus public safety. And in this case, it was the First Amendment versus public safety, obviously the pandemic. We know pandemics throwing everything into uh, its own little box and these rulings are coming out. But, you know, you, you do kind of question the logic and the governor's trying to keep everybody safe. I understand that. But the logic is, okay, we're going to restrict religious services to 10 or to 25 based on these quote unquote zones. But, uh, you know, you had people protesting in the streets for who knows how long and somehow we're not going to like take that into account. I, you know, I, I kind of question that myself. Well, the the thing that I, that comes to mind is that they're limiting. Some States are limiting their restaurants to 10% to whatever your capacity is. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, and, and so if you applied that same reasoning to the the churches or the synagogues or whatever other religious, uh, you know, in New York, you know, I'm sure that they have, especially, you know, with these Catholic churches, some of these churches are huge and they yeah. can fit, you know, a thousand people in the yeah. church or they can fit 600 people in the church. So, with the you know the ten percent rule there, you're talking you know a hundred people. Well, it, you know, so if you're saying ten or twenty five, I mean that is 
really, really restrictive. And I think that's probably what, uh, why Cuomo didn't, uh, you know, win this one. If Cuomo would have said, you know, again, every, everybody with an inside like establishment, you can only have 15 or 20%. And it was, it was across the, across the board. He may have lost this one. I don't, I don't know what, what the, what the Supreme court would have said, but I think what got him in here is that he had increased sanctions for religious services compared to what other, uh, you know, businesses were having. I'm trying to read here about like what was, you know, all the data to go along with it. Here it goes. In dissent, judge Michael H. Park said, Mr. Cuomo's order discriminated against houses of worship because it allowed businesses like liquor stores and pet shops to remain open without capacity restrictions. Yeah. See, so, you know, it's one of those things you you can't have your cake and eat it too. You need to be pretty. Can be fair, fair across the board. Fair across the board. And Frank and I aren't. Don't get us wrong. We're not arguing that there shouldn't be any type of restrictions or anything like that. We're just saying, hey, you know, let's take a look at the overall picture and you make it fair across the board. So that's kind of where we're going with that. And it, we, people should still, they're attending these, obviously, you know, I need to wear a mask and you need to be, try to be socially distanced and all that stuff. But like Frank said, I mean, you're talking, you've walked, you've walked past St. Pat's, right? Church is yeah. huge. Yep, on Fifth Avenue. Yeah. It's freaking yeah. huge. Like when you're capping that, at that limited number, it's makes it difficult for the diocese to reach everyone. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's what uh, I thought was a pretty applicable court case and pretty recent because I do try to check out the news, even though I hate the news, but it did just come down the pike and I was reviewing it. But anyway, so that was the court case of the day. How do we pronounce that again? I You said it's Afrobrol. A Febrol. A Febrol. Hold on. Producers tell me what? A febrile. A febrile. A febrile? This one's saying a febrile. No, it's not, is it? A febrile. Yeah, I just clicked it. I just clicked a febrile. Hmm. I'm telling you, I just clicked it. A febrile. There's a bunch yeah. of different ones. The, the internet would not lie. It does say a febrile, yeah. Or a febrile. I see it again. Maybe it's either or. Tomato, tomato. A febrile without a fever. Learn that. There you go. Word of the day, a febrile, a febrile. So, moving on. Okay, so this is a a topic I had on the list for a while now, and I didn't really know how, where to go with it because I wanted some different articles that I was looking at to kind of piece it together. And the topic I chose was. To degree or not to degree, quote unquote, or dot, dot, dot. That is a question. Everybody knows what that's from, right? Shakespeare. It was in, ep- in a season one, episode two. <laughs> it's also, uh, which one? Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio? Leo. Yeah. Anyway, to, in policing, we usually have, you usually have officers who have a military background officers who have a college background 
and then kind of your uh, either this it's either basically one or the other vast majority wise and then some have a little bit of both or some have none but for the most part it's when, when you say that frank it's either usually one or the other at least to begin with yes yeah, it's yeah either- I'd say it's, it's normally one or the other. Like in our agency, I would say there might be, I don't know, 5% of people who don't have either. Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's, it's a very either, small amount. It's either you, you have some type of education degree. So we're talking, sec, you know, uh, post high school education. So more than the diploma, whether it's associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, we don't have anybody that's a PhD more likely. I don't no. know what they'd be doing in police work anyway, but on the front <laughs> lines, but we don't have anybody that has a PhD. So it's either the degree or you have your military background. And obviously there's benefits to both. There's benefits to having, having both a military and a education. And we're going to touch on that. And I put this in there because it could be changing a little bit in the, where we're going with the future. So question is, is a criminal justice degree beneficial to an active police officers? And like we described, most officers have some sort of military or an education or prior law enforcement experience. And like Frank said, there's that maybe that 5% that have neither. So I have a couple of these, these articles going forward and we're going to analyze them kind of as the benefits, the, the pros, the cons to having military, pros, the cons to having a degree, and kind of my, our opinion, not just mine, but Frank's opinion too, where we think this is going to go forward. So, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. So the, the first one we talked about what, that I mentioned was this article we're going to attach to the show called the Marshall Project Study on Use of Force. And I found this very interesting. So it was police with military experience more likely to shoot. So Dallas cops who were veterans fired their weapons more than those who never served in the armed forces study shows. And researchers at the University of Texas School of Public Health in Dallas examined the U.S. Armed Forces record of officers and the local police department and published their report in the journal Public Health on October 3rd. This article is from... October 15th of 2018. So this is like two years ago. They build the study as the first of its kind and found that regardless of their deployment history, cops who were military veterans were more prone to shooting incidents. Officers who were deployed were 2.9 times more likely to fire their weapons while on duty. Those who were not deployed were 1.94 times more likely to be involved in a shooting. Results from this study suggest that veteran status, regardless of deployment history, is associated with increased odds of shootings. In a 2017 investigation, the Marshall Marshall Project found that officers in Boston and in Miami with military experience were more likely to have a use of force complaint filed against them. In addition, one-third of the 35 fatal police shootings in Albuquerque from January 2010 to April 2014 involved cops who were military veterans. So, you know, you look at that and you face value, you say, okay, well, that maybe that's, that's could be an issue. Now, there are a lot of things that we can talk about that are outside that purview of that study. So for instance, just because they shoot more doesn't necessarily mean shooting more was wrong. 
Okay, I don't I don't know how to 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 word that in a way to make it more understandable. But just because they're more prone to shoot doesn't necessarily mean that their shooting was not justified, right? Right. right. I, yeah, I was I was thinking that, and then the other thing I was thinking of was was there any the people that were not veterans that should have shot when they right. didn't and got Correct. hurt. So that that that's the, those that data is missing and. And probably the it's qualitatively actually it's more quantitatively hard to determine whether or not somebody should have shot. Obviously, it's quantitatively easy to determine when somebody shoots because you figure that out. But right. quantitatively, it's almost impossible to figure out when somebody should have shot because yes. you know we don't go back twenty twenty hindsight and say, oh, you know, you should have shot. You can maybe do a report. Yeah, you can maybe take it. You know, educated guess based on the totality of circumstances said, yeah, probably justified in shooting, but there's many situations where you're probably justified in shooting and not shooting might've been the better outcome, obviously, but it's it's almost impossible to quantitatively. You can't. Yeah, you can't do it. So obviously that study doesn't take that into account. That'd be like on our use of force report, there would be a box that says could have shot, but didn't. Right. It's not happening. So basically, the article gets at this topic of saying future studies should identify the effects of traumatic exposures, including combat exposure on the behavior of veteran police officers. Researchers said uh, Dallas Police Department spokesman, spokesman Sergeant Warren Mitchell said the command staff hadn't been briefed on the study. Until then, the agency would have no comment on the findings. Okay, so they went after they were talking about the uh Dallas Police Department. Basically, Dallas Police Department officers with military experience were significantly more likely to have discharged their firearm while on duty than cops with no military experience. A study reported. Okay, obviously, you see that you're like, oh my god, you know, they're oh, Dallas cops are terrible, and they, you know, they're firing their weapon all these times. Well, again, you read the headlines, you don't go into the actual underlying yes. facts or data that support that. But it was just an interesting article that I read, and it does speak to some things and we're going to discuss here in a little bit why we think that is a couple other articles I found we'll attach here Uh, on the plus side I found an article on four reasons why military veterans make great cops so the first we call team players excuse me military veterans are not only trained to contribute to a team in order to thrive but they also learn that they have to count on a team to survive service members that have trouble with this concept are identified and extra training follows a call to his, uh, you know, you're talking to your first sergeant, platoon sergeant, platoon leader provide you an honest assessment of a person's qualities. So, I mean, Frank can speak to this more, but they're saying that people in the military are more team players. So why is that Frank? Because uh, when you first go into your basic training or your boot camp, uh, or whatever the training is called for some of the other armed services, is that for like the first, I mean, for the whole period, but especially until you get into that team mindset for the first four weeks, for six weeks, you're getting beat down every day until you get that team mentality. Uh, for example... Uh, I mean, they have other like they have team things that they do to, to get you know team building and to work together and problem solve together. 
but I just remember being in, in basic and my battle buddy was disrespectful to a female and I had to do pushups for him. I, I got smoked. I got smoked. Not just like pushups. Like I got smoked. I had to do butterfly kicks, pushups. I had to run around the track. I got smoked because of him. And again, it's just that like I'm, I need to keep him in check. He needs to keep me in check or the, you know, the, the platoon, somebody screws up in the platoon. The whole platoon does, does, uh, you know, PT. Uh, it's just, you know, they, they, they build that team mentality into you from day one. So, yeah, I would agree with that. So what, what uh, butterfly kicks, is that is that when you are on your back and you're kicking back and forth up in the air? Yes. That does yeah. suck. I just saw a meme the other day, and uh, you know, I'm guessing this probably would mean nothing to you, Patrick, but basically uh, I it was that it was that most interesting man in the world, uh, yeah. the guy in the world, and he said, I don't always half right face, but when I do, I do push-ups. So does that mean anything to you? means i'm assuming when you're got to go do a push-up they tell you to make a half right face yeah so when you're in formation you, they just can't tell you to all to drop because if you all dropped you'd be uh getting kicked in the face and everything else so uh it was always well, yeah, like it makes sense yeah you, you heard them say half right face and you just knew that you were getting smoked you just knew uh, it how many push-ups uh till failure they wanted everybody to fail. It doesn't matter. That's why, like, it was it was a mind game too. Because even though you did, you tried your hardest. You tried to keep going because you wanted to be the best. It didn't matter. They were just gonna they were just gonna smash you down. Did you take a half right face also to hydrate? Uh, no, no. We just, we just said drink water. Yeah. What, what was it? No, you're about to sing something. You said no. It's like you just yelled out, "Drink, drink water." But I'm sure you get. I'm sure. I'm telling you, it was a great time. I'm sure they made you drink a ton of water. Yeah, it's a great time. I do it in a heartbeat again. It's funny. Like years ago, it it was seemed as you know, being a tough, being a tough athlete or being a tough military person was not to, you know, go without drinking water. Well, they quickly realized that that's not. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how long the military's been doing that, but you know, I went through in in 2005, and they were actually really good with uh, being aware of like heat injuries. Yeah, and we actually had like a wet bulb that we put outside every day to see like what the the heat index was and the humidity and everything and the wind chill and and uh, they were actually really really good. They actually had tables to say like you know with this temperature you could only do you know 10 minutes of extreme. Uh, exercise or you know exertion compared to this much rest and this much water so they were good i wonder if they teach that at drill sergeant school we'll have to get v on here yeah i bet she i bet she knows that she's probably not even listening she's too busy now taking on more cases she's got to take a bunch of cases yeah yeah so so uh team players okay another one communicators so from the time they exit the cattle wagon, and this article is from Police One, which oh I, I enjoy, but from the time they exit the cattle wagon at boot camp to the time they exit the military, service members are taught to communicate confidently and concisely. They, they learn to speak with efficiency and clarity because survival may depend on their message and how it's delivered. And that's why so many veterans who recently have departed from the military will speak with short and concise sentences. So And with a knife hand. Huh? A knife, hand. knife like, hand. Like, oh. This is how they, yeah, it's called the knife hand. Like the you chop. see me do what I'm doing? 
Yeah, I see. Ah, it's not really like a chop. It's just that we just we yeah. just talked about this at that one class about you're instead not of to point your finger. You're not to point your finger. I know, but it's even more intimidating with the knife hand as as the drill instructor or the drill sergeant yelling at you. Okay, well, listen, you, you know what an AAR is? A what? An AAR. After it's action like an after action re- after action review after action report. Yeah, yeah. And I could tell you that every single time when you say like, "What could we have done better?" It was always communication. Uh, every single time, it's commu- that's even in, that's even sports. Yeah. It's always communication. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Maturing- by the way, one one thing, and and this is another thing that I'm like reminiscent and and just again, I said I'd I'd love to go back in a heartbeat. When they say when they get off the cattle car, they're not they're not being like funny. It was a straight up cattle car. Like you, you know, you're driving on the road and you pass like a a, a yeah. truck hauling like two cows or like four cows or horses yeah. or something. That's what we got transported around in base. Like sixty people in that small cattle car. People be have to stand up, sit down. I mean, it was again. It's, I freaking love that. Would, would, I should get. We should get Randall on here. Would he talk about this too? Or no, he's he's special because he's one of those Marines, right? Well, I I've been including the Marines, the boot camp, the drill instructors, V the Marine. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was moving on. Maturity number three. Service Uh, members typically enter the military at younger ages. Many of them at the age of eighteen. They are taught to be leaders at every rank. Often, by the time they are twenty-one, they may be leading a squad or holding a highly skilled position within their unit. And the military spends great time and effort training their leaders. Promotions come with exceptional leadership schools that are not available in law enforcement. Their ability to function as leaders will provide an agency a valuable resource that's hard to come by. And military veterans often will be the quiet professional in the squad, never complaining and always pushing forward. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's just as I'm thinking, that does not always apply. In fact, I've, Hell seen, probably, no. I've probably seen them complain <laughs> more, if not less. Uh, listen, in, in the, some, in some I, of the I, armed I, forces... I, 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 sorry, I get what the article's saying, though. In some of the armed forces, you have these gimme ranks that you really don't have to do a lot for. Well, uh, until you get out of that gimme rank area and you actually have to go to promotional boards and submit packets and you know display that you are a good leader, uh, you may not get that maturity that you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, we call them shammers, you know, and in that the, the, they're just always trying to figure out how to get out of things. Well, yeah, and that speaks for everybody, military or you know, college or whatever. It, you get you get the scam. Well, I call them scammers, scamming the system. You know, people that are always hurt, that type of stuff, getting out of work. And last but not least, again, these are. Uh, Four reasons why military veterans make great cops. Number four, stress managers. Whether a veteran has combat experience or not, they were surely exposed to stress with expectations of success and nothing less. Service members are exposed to stress at levels that aren't imaginable for those who have never served. Boot camp initiates a crew to sleep deprivation, physical stress, and mental stress. It doesn't ease up until you retire or leave the service. Law enforcement is filled with hours of calm and moments of extreme stress. Military veterans won't crack under this type of pressure because they were trained to perform. This type of stress management can't be taught as at an educational institute. Hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah. I I I I I could see that. I agree with that one. One of the maturity one. 
definitely. I'll tell you that they, they say that they have to give you at least four hours of sleep, but they don't have to be consecutive. Oh God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to, welcome to police work. Welcome, right. Right. right Frank, welcome to police work and having young kids. Oh yeah. I mean, how many people, you know, other officers that we've seen that had to juggle coming home from work at seven o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, getting their kids to school or even just being with the young ones until mom gets off and then getting a couple hours of sleep. How about about now in COVID land, when you're, when you're dealing with people like myself who are on night work and then you got to come home and guess what? You get like, try to get an hour or two of sleep before the young one gets up and guess what? They can't go to school because the school's closed. So you have to stay home and they have to do a little Netflix and chill. Sleep deprivation. Yes. Sleep deprivation. Law enforcement is not a career where you get eight hours of sleep every night. Trust me on that one. But yeah. So anyway, those are four reasons why military veterans make great cops. It's a police one article from October 30th, 2018. Uh, it looks like it was written by Sergeant Glenn French. Coincidentally, he's a SWAT operator and has a military background. So Glenn French, a retired sergeant with the Sterling Heights, Michigan Police Department, 24 years of police experience, served as the team commander for the special response team, supervisor of the Sterling Heights Police Department Training Bureau, 16 years SWAT experience, and also served as sniper team leader, react team leader, whichever, whatever acronym that stands for, and explosive breacher. Oh, man, he's he's putting freaking Randall to shame. Those explosive breachers are an interesting lot. Uh, Yeah, they are. (laughs) <laughs> but so that's uh comparison of why this gentleman feels that military veterans make great cops. So then we're switching over to the benefits of a criminal justice degree. And this is by Janae Gasparini, a PhD. Obviously PhD means she's super smart. Well, not always it just means she went to. And where's this article from? This is from police one. Oh, okay. More, yeah, more recent though, October 19th of 2020. Oh, okay. Yes. So she, uh, this is actually part of a uh, podcast that uh, was taken and she sat down for an interview and was talking about this. So anyway, these are benefits of a criminal justice degree. The first one is academy preparedness, an academic preview to the field of criminal justice and a basic understanding of justice system parts and functions can significantly reduce the academic load for a recruit in the police academy. She said, one piece of consistent feedback I hear from my college graduates is how grateful they are to have had foundational knowledge before attending the academy. Some graduates also reported feeling positive about being able to tutor fellow recruits and practice leadership skills early in their career. I mean, I don't, well, you I don't, know, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say, I would say ac- academy preparedness more for the educational portion of the academy well yeah and i think that you know uh at our police academy on the within the first two or three days there is a i think a two-hour block of instruction on how to study how to take notes how to test you know and that's probably more for the people who did not go to you know a secondary school it's probably even for the people who are not in the uh it's the people that haven't done any schoolwork since high school right right you know? because we have that gap that at least the three-year gap for you know to get 21 and then possibly more you know if you're yeah, coming yeah. in at 30 
34, 35. I mean, you're yeah, gonna you, haven't, you haven't haven't led like I mean, I'm, obviously that I know you know in the military there's courses and stuff you take and you know you guys have your powerpoints and don't as doesn't every powerpoint have like the objectives on like the second slide what for the military yeah 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 and they call it death by powerpoint at times but anyway like like you're saying it preparedness wise it's easier for me i mean i graduated college when i was 22 when i was in the police academy at 23 you know, education wise, I was set. I mean, I'm also like extremely smart, so it wasn't necessarily a huge issue. You know what I'm talking about, Frank? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think that you uh, you have that, um, that idiot savant, that <clears throat> the water from where you grew up that makes it so you can remember everything. No, but <laughs> no, it, it. But clearly, the articles, you know, addressing that, which I agree with, like. I agree you, with it if, too. If you're coming right out of college, you know, hopefully you'd studied a little bit and that prepares you a little more for the academy than necessarily someone who, like Frank mentioned, could be in the military, could be, could have re-upped, could not be starting the academy until they're in their 30s. Right. We've seen people in the police academy at 40s and even close to 50. Right. So that does. Uh, next one is faculty partners. So... Many criminal justice professors have on-the-job experience or are enthusiastic about mentoring future officers. By beginning the process of preparing students for testing and recruitment while they're enrolled in degree programs, students are given the early advantage of having managed expectations for successful hiring outcomes. Conversely, students may realize the profession is not for them, clearing their path for more direct recruitment. Another benefit to hiring agencies, at, hiring agencies is that faculty members generally work with students for a minimum of two years. It can do provide valuable longitudinal character references for background investigations. Oh, I actually didn't think about that. So I guess the, the first one is like, if you, as a student with a criminal justice degree, your academic, if you get involved with somebody, you know, academic professor or something like that, they're probably a pretty good reference. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily buy into the whole direct recruitment for the career. But I will say that in my experience at, for college, we did have job career fairs where law enforcement agencies would come and try to recruit prospective students. So I, I, I do buy into that. And maybe that's a, a, a way they partner with the faculty of that uh, degree program. Well, I mean, the the thing that's hard is that there's a lot of police agencies that are civil service so that even though it's not like right. you could just like get a, a foot in the door by understanding, you know, being with that, that adjunct professor, I mean, they could certainly give me a good reference, but you may not have that automatic. I'm going to get you in the door to this police agency. I mean, it could happen. So I'm going to skip the next one because I think that's probably the most important and where I think we're going. So uh, I'll skip number three. So number four, okay a recruitment remedy law enforcement leaders should be feel empowered to forge inroads with local college programs for many reasons. Uh, perhaps topping list is the remedial effect. These relationships can have on present day recruiting challenges. Police departments have been called upon to hire diverse candidates with skill sets that uphold modern expectations set forth by departments and community members. Where else can one find a pool of candidates more suited to meet these expectations 
and colleges and universities can offer hiring agencies access to a wide array of diverse, age-appropriate, intellectually curious candidates beyond those solely enrolled in a criminal justice program. Uh, yeah, so basically what they're saying is, hey, college and the educational program is pretty diverse. That's kind of what law enforcement agencies are looking to emulate. So why not? Yes, it'd be a, it's a natural, it's more natural just to recruit from there. But, you know, I don't think that's a difference from the military. No, I, I don't, think I don't the military really think so. is very diverse. You know, it's it's been very diverse for, for years. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're just, they have those, both of them have those strengths. Yeah. Where, like, where was your battle? Was your battle buddy from around where you're from? Uh, my battle buddy was from Rochester, New York, but my best friend was from Jacksonville, Florida. Right. And you're not from Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. No. So like, I, again, that's two various different backgrounds, two various different areas of where that person grew up. So, and I saved the last one, number three for last, because I think it's probably where we're going future wise police reform and the evolving definition of a quote unquote good hire conversations about police reform across the nation has spurred a renewal consideration of competencies, traits, and skill sets with which successful hire should be equipped, effective communication and de-escalation buzzword methods, cultural competencies, empathy, critical thinking, and a wider world view have been identified as desirable attributes. Contemporary criminal justice degree programs encompass coursework that only fosters these attributes, but also moves beyond theoretical discussion to application within the criminal justice coursework. So courses in written and interpersonal communications, psychology, sociology are paired with field-specific courses on ethics, procedural justice, management, and current issues in the field. So obviously, I we think we know where we're going with that. In this new age of policing, we're talking de-escalation, critical thinking, psychology, that type of stuff. Whether or not we agree that it's such an issue that needs to be absolutely revamped or looked at. But again, it's the revolving door of police work and where we're going in the future. And obviously, we were just at a training. They just talked about how de-escalation is the buzzword for 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I can't really, I can't really disagree with that. The thing is, the only thing I would, I would, that I'm, I'm curious here is that uh, I still think that the military is a is a great option, and I think that all that with even you know you talk about de escalation, you talk about having a you know a a bigger or a, a different worldview than what has been in the past, maybe. But I think that you can offer all that for people coming out of the military too. It's just that I, I think that maybe it's just not as easily, um, I, I don't know, like tested or I, I don't know what you, how they get that, but I, I really don't, I, th- I think you get that same, that I'm like at a loss for words here. I just think that I don't want you know people to think, and I hope we don't move to this in the future where, we are saying that vets aren't what we're looking for just because they don't have college. You know, I think that college or, you know, going to university provides a, you know, a different 
you know, because you're going a lot of about theory and you're actually yep. putting your thoughts and words and, you know, you're studying that, that, you know, particular juvenile justice or the, or how prisons and, you know, do things in the courts. And I think that all those, uh, you know, and learning about them and going over the theory and, and looking at the statistics, you know, it has its benefits. Uh, but you talk about like de-escalation and stuff like that. I think that the military provides that too. No matter what. I agree. I agree. But I think what they're trying to say is you're getting all that extra coursework in psychology and sociology, like the study of the brain, how individuals interact with other individuals. I think it's just, well, I don't, I'm this? not saying, I'm not saying it's a benefit. I'm just saying that's where, you know, I, I think, think, I think more police departments are going to go try to go that way. Well, I think that with the, with going again, university, you go to college and correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but it's much more of a, if you will, like a touchy feely type of stuff where it is. the military it is. is more, you know, do right, this I mean, because I'm telling you to do this and you go and, you know, you, Here's you sit, yes, you listen to a death by PowerPoint for eight hours. You don't have to test on it, but you just, you you know, you got it and you go. Yeah. Here's how I, I, I describe that. So I, I, and this is kind of just looking at it from a perspective of, off the top, uh, like the icing on the top of the cake. Uh, That's a terrible analogy, but just looking at it from a, a perspective of without actually thinking deeper on the topic, I look at military and college as this. Okay. You can take a Marine and you say to that Marine, Hey, I want you to go stand on that corner and I want you to stand there for eight hours and Make sure that you're visible as a deterrent for the police. That Marine wholeheartedly will listen to the commanding sergeant or whatever and do that job. They probably won't even take a piss break because that's what they're going to do. Right. You know, but in that same instance, there may be an issue that unfolds in that general area where that quote unquote Marine law enforcement officer may not be or can easily resolve. You take the college educated person with no military. You say, the sergeant says, Hey, I want you to go stand on that, eight hour, that corner for eight hours. as a deterrent for, as a deterrent, as a police officer. And that, you know what that first word out of that college kid's mouth is going to be? Why? Why? Exactly. They're going to say, why? Okay. Especially the younger generation. And that right there is, I know it's kind of, you know, looking at the, looking at it, What's the word I'm trying broad to say? Strokes. Yeah, yeah. In a broad sense of the view, but that's what we're talking about. So, but there's benefits to both. And that's kind of what we're saying. There's obviously there's benefits to both and there's benefits to those who have both. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that both of them, again, in a perfect world, you go out, you spend four years in the military, then you go and you spend four years in your, in there and then you come out Again, you and I would probably both agree too that, you know, if that was the case, you're probably looking at like 26 years old. Uh, you're probably going to be a better cop at that time anyway. Because yep. I think you and I will agree that handling domestics at 23 years old, when we had no kids ourselves, but we're telling parents how to be parents because 
they aren't parents and you know yeah. we're trying to you know tell a kid that's 16 17 years old this yep. that or the other and and we don't have kids it's like we don't uh, have we don't have the life experiences we don't have the life experience about. so you know i think that you you do get those uh the life experiences yeah. are huge in policing yeah. uh, let me ask you this i know we're getting down here on time frame but what's your uh what's your thoughts on the degree to me, I think the criminal justice degree is going to be is actually more in line with what's going on now as far as de escalation and sociology. Because I mean, my minor, I mean, I have a degree in criminal justice. Going back, I'll tell you the truth, I probably wouldn't have gotten a degree in criminal justice because I don't think it matters that much. I mean, it gave me a little, you know, again, a broad sense of the what I was getting myself into and my minor is in sociology, but I think what policing, like we've just talked about is going more and more towards that sociological, psychological aspect. So now I think it's more important than it was 10 years ago, Hmm. but you know, I mean, you can getting a degree in and of itself provides the benefit of, like we said, understanding how to, you know, listen to people taking notes being prepared for exams for the academy, that type of stuff, having a general knowledge about stuff. Whereas the the downfall is like you're 23 and you're coming into a policing career that you may not have life experiences or the experience of that. So to me, the degree doesn't really matter, honestly. Well, yeah. And, and I would agree with you. And I would even say that on the military side, if you want to be a police officer, you do not have to go in to be an MP no, or, no. Uh, or, you know, in military intelligence you could be a cook. or you'd be a cook. Yep. I actually, I would, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably choose to go into the military in just something like a wild trade or wild different, you know, yeah, different well, type of job. No. I want to say you should have, you should have gotten your wings. Yeah. Okay. I I should have actually. I should have. That's yeah. one of my regrets. Yeah, no regrets. No regrets. But <laughs> oh, this is a topic that can be debated, and I'm sure we'll get some feedback on it. Again, we're advocate not advocating one or the other. In fact, we'd probably advocate for both. Uh, but just benefits of one versus the other, cons of one versus the other, and kind of where. It's going forward. I think we're really getting into that whole psychological, sociological aspect that especially a lot of agencies are going to be recruiting and are going to look to universities to recruit for those people that are going to say, why? You know what I mean? Like, why are we, why am I doing this? And this 20 year veteran sergeant is going to be like, I don't give an F why just do it. (laughs) And sometimes, and sometimes that's needed. (laughs) Why is it always the answer? And I think it's even more so now as you would, you, you can attest to that the younger generation certainly doesn't know how to talk to people because they live through technology and it's even harder. I tell you what, it is amazing to see how little some of the young officers want to talk. Oh yeah. You know, and I, sometimes I actually thought that I was bad. Uh, oh, I thought, but I, you know me, I'm, I'm like, I, I'll, I'll be proud, first to tell you, I'm an introvert, but compared to some of the, the pe- younger people that we, we've hired, you're an extrovert. I talk, yeah. I talk way more to people, and a lot of that's yeah. just through repetition, experience. Like again, experience on the job, but yeah, just you know, you got to learn how to talk to people. And 
man, you can't really text everybody you deal with, right? I mean, you can text 911, but that's that's about as far as you're going to get. <laughs> you're, we're not going to get as many details. <laughs> but, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I'd like to hear some feedback about this, your opinions. I'm sure Randall will give his two cents because he always does every time I see him. Uh, good and bad. Like last time about checking me on the audio. This one was not in person with Frank like last time. We uh, well, we do apologize. Yeah, we do apologize for a little bit of the technical difficulties we had, but we fixed it. That wasn't really not our fault. Uh, again, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, email us Frank at the Elio Sideshow dot com, Patrick at the Elio Sideshow dot com. Check out the website, the Elio Sideshow dot com. Give us that five star review. Reach out to us on where you find your all your podcasts: Apple, Stitcher, Anchor. Uh, what else? Hi-Fi. Spotify, yes, yeah, so, and uh, give us that five star review. See what you think. We probably have about one episode left before we go on a kind of holiday break. Holiday break. Just we're going we on our a, holiday. Just because we need we need a holiday break. But yeah. Well, it gives uh, it gives Patrick uh, some time to move in, and and uh, it gives us some time to just chillax and hang out with the fam. Yeah, you know, I you know what I was going to comment that how you were talking about how you like. We're like we're twenty three, and we don't, you know, we don't have families or life experience. You know what I was going to say, and then you and Frank turned twenty seven and had three kids. So you you had that life experience in like four years, bro. I mean, it's not entirely true, but <laughs> I did I did work quickly on getting hey, some life experience. Hey, trust me, sometimes that's quite the advantage that I'm feeling the pain now. My older self getting mm. the the younger the younger aged kids, <sighs> especially when you work night work, but yeah. So again, uh, Patrick, quote unquote, one of the last COVID free Cortland here and Frank ice cream is my middle name. Gephardt. I dude, we actually, we, we went to, I forgot to, I, I can't believe I didn't even see this earlier. We went to sweet frog tonight. Hmm. What'd you and get? I got the cookies and cream, but I always get, I love peanut butter cups and I love cookie Oreo cookies. You got those on top. Heck yeah. Mm. The wife got the wife got fudge. Nah. I think so I'm getting ice cream or what I guess it's not ice cream there, it's uh frozen yogurt. Yeah, it so. is frozen yogurt. All hey, right, Liz. ladies and gents. Yep, thanks for showing up. Yep. We'll see you next time. Have Here. a wonderful evening. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.